Good morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we welcome your presence here this morning, Lord, and we pray um, on this Independence Day, Lord, that we would be reminded of whatever it is you need to remind us of, Lord, that you would meet us where we are at, and that your spirit would minister to our spirits. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good to see you all today. I was not here last weekend because, as Kurt mentioned, we were on a mission trip. Um, and our mission trip was a great time. We had 10 students and adults that went up to Sioux Falls last weekend for a long weekend. And the first thing we did was we spent some time with the Lifelight Youth Center. And uh, we didn't know it at the time, but this youth center is planted in the one small neighborhood in Sioux Falls that accounts for about 80% of the 911 calls in the city of Sioux Falls. Um, so that gave us a little different perspective on what sort of places these kids were living in that we got to see at the youth center, right? So that first night we got to hang out with some kids and we got to help deep clean the youth center. Um, and then we also spent some time with the Union Gospel Mission that is a homeless ministry up there that is through and through Christian, through and through committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, so we organized some food pantries, we served food to people um, that are in their program, and then people could come in off the streets and eat as well, uh, anybody who had need. And we got to hear about the history of the mission and see how passionate and committed these people who work there are to the mission that they are carrying through. This gospel mission is over 100 years old. It's, I think, the oldest one in Sioux Falls. And it was a great opportunity uh, for us to be there. This picture you see here is at Falls Park. How many people have been to Falls Park in Sioux Falls before? A handful of you. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, I'm told if there's another two feet of water, it actually is much more impressive, but I, I thought it was still beautiful, and we had a good time right after the rain one evening going out to check out that place as well. So we had a good mix of serving and a good mix of fellowship and fun bonding experiences. And one thing is for sure, this was an eye-opening experience for many of our youth who grew up in Storia City and Roland, right? I think everybody on the trip grew up either here or, you know, Gilbert was the farthest anywhere had lived, right? You know, from Storia City. And um, we got to share some really interesting and good experiences. And make no mistake, uh, us adults and these youth experienced kingdom urgency. They saw the urgency, the, the need, the necessity for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. They stepped into the brokenness of the youth and their families at a broken neighborhood. They stepped into the lives of those who were homeless, who had no place to go, no family to go back to in many different ways. And we saw the urgency we saw that this is a need today and not just a need tomorrow or next year or the year after that. And there is a tremendous need. That's what we're talking about. That's why we're doing this series. There's a tremendous need for followers of Jesus to step into the dark places in our world and in our culture and in our society to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Both of these ministries we got to work with up there were doing that and doing it very well. And it doesn't mean it was easy. In fact, it's probably really hard for them, and it's really hard sometimes for us. But it's still urgent, and it's still necessary. So this Kingdom Urgency series, just to recap a little bit, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus' work and Jesus' mission and our participation in that work. Jesus has work, and Jesus has a mission whether we join him or not, right? 
but he desires for us to come and join and partner with that mission. The phrase kingdom urgency assumes a couple of things. I talked about this a month ago. It assumes that the kingdom of God is a reality. It is real. It assumes that we can witness it and have a part in it, and it should be urgent in our lives, meaning that we actually prioritize our lives around this mission rather than fitting it into the free spots if and when we have free spots in our life. So all aspects of our life can be built on this, just as Jesus modeled and displayed for us in the text of the Gospels. What does it look like? What does a life look like if it is built on Christ and oriented around the kingdom of God? If you're anything like me, maybe you sit around and think about how your life would be different, how my life would be different if that was more of a reality. And I encourage you to do this throughout the series. Picture in your mind what it would look like to take steps in that direction, orienting every aspect of your life around Jesus and his kingdom. So our gospel this morning um, is a great passage. It's been one of my favorites for years. Um, I probably say that about a lot of scriptures, but, you know, it's true for this too. Um, And it highlights just how determined these people were. Everybody in the story is determined to be in the presence of Jesus. Jesus heals this paralytic man. And for many who were lost, for many who were injured or had an ailment, for many who were outcasts, they had a desire to see God's power bring some incredible healing to their lives and to those around them. So we're going to go through this gospel passage with a little more depth this morning. So picking up with verse 17, one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So there's a lot of powerful people in the presence of Jesus. Now, it doesn't tell us if these people came just to see Jesus or if they happened to be there for some other church conference, you know, like that's what brings all of us together, right, and pastors. But for whatever reason, they're there. And I have a hunch that maybe a lot of them were seeking out Jesus to see what was going on with this guy that they were hearing stories about. Maybe they were there curious Maybe they were there in judgment. And this is one reality of the kingdom of God, too. So when, when the word gets out that God is doing incredible things, people come and see, right? It's happened like this with revivals all throughout history. When, when something new and fresh happens, when there's an excitement in a church or in a place, people come and see. And sometimes they come in judgment. And sometimes they come because they're curious. They actually want to see and experience for themselves what is going on. So this is one of those instances. Jesus is there, and there's a lot of people, Pharisees, teachers of the law, but there's another audience, another crowd there as well that maybe just want a taste of the kingdom of God. And one of the best invitations we can make, I was having a conversation with a good friend a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about the simple invitation of Jesus in the Gospels to come and see One of the gospel accounts is Jesus is calling his disciples. They say, where are you staying? And he doesn't say, two blocks down on the right. He doesn't give them the address. He invites them to come and see. He doesn't end a conversation with a simple answer. He extends an invitation to come walk with him. So one of the best things we can do as the body of Christ, when we know of places and events and times and people where God is working, we can say, come and see. Come experience and witness for yourself 
the coming kingdom of God. And the scripture tells us in Luke that the power of the Lord was on him to heal. I think that's important because uh, we believe that Jesus was 100% human, but also 100% God. This is something we can't wrap our heads fully around, right? If Jesus was sinless, there's something divine about his being, yet he was born, he grew up, he grew in wisdom and in stature, the scriptures tell us. And in this instance, it was the power of God. It was the divine power that was on him to heal. It wasn't his humanity. It wasn't his effort. He wasn't forcing the issue. It was God's power. And it is the same for us, too, when we're talking about operating in the kingdom of God. Picking up with verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So I remember hearing a teaching on this at one time, and uh, it was more of a historical perspective on what the roofs actually looked like. Now, if somebody was going to bring somebody on the roof of this church and lower them in to be down front because there was too big of a crowd take some work, right? And I don't think this was maybe that hard, but many of the structures of that time, uh, this wouldn't have been easy for them to get on a roof, and it wouldn't have been easy for them to carry a paralytic man on a bed to that roof. And oftentimes, the roofs were made of mud and sticks and clay, maybe stone. It says tiles right here in the text. Whatever the case was, they went through a lot of trouble, right? There is no easy way to get somebody who cannot walk on a roof and then find or make a hole and lower them through the roof into the right place to be in front of Jesus. So unless there was already a hole, this was a hard thing. They went above and beyond probably what was necessary of them to get somebody up there and then in the presence of Jesus. So these people that are with the paralytic man, they show an incredible determination, right? The paralyzed man probably had the determination, right? He wanted to maybe be in front of Jesus. It doesn't tell us that or not. But I would think he probably was going along with it, if nothing else. And then his companions went to great lengths to get this friend, this companion of theirs, in front of Jesus, into his presence, so that Jesus could heal them. So there's a good point for us too this morning, a takeaway. For those of you in your life that you care about, your family and your friends and your neighbors, what lengths are you willing to go to for them to know Jesus? To experience Jesus' grace. How committed to that are you? Would you take them up on a roof and make a hole and lower them down if that's what it took to get them in the presence of Jesus? That's something to chew on this morning. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Interesting here, not just the faith of the paralytic man. He says he saw their faith. I think he's also talking about those who were determined to get this man into the presence of Jesus. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And saying, and and amazement seized them all. They glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. We have seen extraordinary things today. When was the last time we've seen extraordinary things? These people witnessed something that many of them actually went there to seek out. They responded to that, let's go see. Let's go see what this Jesus guy is all about. And maybe some of the Pharisees got angry. Maybe they still doubted, probably, because we know how the story progresses and continues. There is always an opposition to Jesus and the kingdom of God. But not even they in that moment could doubt the power of the kingdom of God and of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And 2,000 years later, it's a big enough story we're still talking about it, right? It continues to be in front of us. So what does this gospel passage teach us about the kingdom of God? A few different things, a few different things to chew on I've already given you today, but... I think the kingdom of God is a reality of forgiveness and healing. If we are in an environment or in a place, or if our church culture is not one where we can forgive one another, we're lacking in our experience of the kingdom of God. If we, if the body of Christ, are judgmental and holding resentment in our hearts to the people around us and our neighbors and our family, then there's some kingdom of God that needs to come in our lives as it is in heaven, right? The kingdom of God is about forgiveness from sins. That's why Jesus came, to make a way for us to be restored to relationship. And it's also about healing, literal, physical healing, spiritual healing, relational healing, and whatever else we can't name that God wants to do in our hearts and minds, right? Do we have an expectation and a craving for the kingdom like these people in Luke had? Are we willing to go see? Are we willing to go to great lengths to be in the presence of Jesus and experience his kingdom? I think we should expect God to do big things. I think that we shouldn't consider it a fluke if we hear a story about somebody being healed or somebody whose life is drastically transformed like the life of Paul, like the life of this paralytic man. And I think that we should seek out Jesus, just like the deacons talked about last week. Where is he working? Let's go join. Let's come and see what God is up to in his kingdom here on earth. And we need people to join. We need what Jesus has to offer just as much as the person who hasn't met Jesus yet needs Jesus. It's a continual relationship. And as people following Jesus and joining in his ministry and mission, we want to be in the presence of Jesus. And this is actually urgent. It's actually urgent for us. 
This kingdom reality of forgiveness and healing, I think, is one that should impact each of our lives. And so the Colossians text this morning speaks an encouragement to the church then, and I believe now, to take seriously this Christ-likeness, to put on these virtues, these aspects, these realities of Jesus himself through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may live according to the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man or the kingdom of darkness or any other kingdom. So Paul writes in Colossians, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So this is strong language. You must forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. This forgiveness thing is a big deal. It is one of the defining aspects of God's kingdom. And here, in a, in a very practical way, we are invited to be part of that kingdom by bringing reconciliation to relationships by forgiving those, those who we know personally and those who we know from afar who have hurt us in some way or hurt our friends or family in some way. Paul says that we should be humble, we should be compassionate, and we should forgive each other since God has already gone to great lengths to forgive us. What he's asking of us is much less than what was asked of him. Unfortunately, in Western Christianity, we're not always defined by humility and compassion and forgiveness. Now, I think the majority of followers of Jesus live that way more than they don't. But that's not what you hear about. If there's one pastor that is angry and judgmental, you hear about that and not the 10,000 pastors who are faithfully trying to follow Jesus, right? Same thing with any high-profile leader in the church or in any company. Or, that's just the way our culture sells news, right? We want a crisis. But there is a lot of conflict in the church, or else there wouldn't be, what, 38,000 different denominations or whatever it is. Conflict is something that we like to avoid rather than resolve, and that comes from unforgiveness. And when we as the body of Christ don't treat each other with kindness and forgiveness, how can we expect the world to see Jesus in us and through us? How can we expect them to see what it is that Jesus brings in our gospel text this morning? If we are followers of Jesus and if we realize that we are living for the kingdom of God, then forgiving each other is something that we will prioritize and value. And I believe it is that simple. We can't control whether somebody forgives us. We don't have the authority to forgive for them, but we do have the authority to forgive them. And we can certainly let God move in our hearts so that we may forgive those who have sinned against us and wronged us. On our part, we can do that, and God empowers us to do that through his Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't forgive us our sins so that we can hold anger and malice and resentment towards other people. Rather, his kingdom should come in our lives. 
allowing us to forgive as we have been forgiven. So, Jesus has the authority forgive to forgive, and because we are filled with his spirit, the same kingdom authority that Jesus walks with and operates in is available to us too. Our Colossians passage concludes this way. Paul writes, Above all else, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love how Paul writes here. Forgiveness for Paul is not about a checklist, and for us it is also not about a checklist. I've forgiven this person, I am that much more holy today. That's not how it works, friends. It's about the love of Christ living in us and through us consistently, and us desiring that love to grow and grow and grow with each passing day. It's about showing compassion to people so that they may meet the God of compassion that we serve and know. This real, visible, and urgent kingdom of God is one that will be marked with compassion and forgiveness. And if we are living out the kingdom of God in this church and in this community, that will be evident. Compassion and forgiveness. And I pray that this would be true of us here at Emmanuel, that it would be true in our community, that it would be true across the world, wherever the church is. So here's what I'd like to challenge us to do today. Not a single one of us in here probably wants to dig up an old skeleton and go for skiff somebody, right? And like, no, none of us probably find that to be easy because we don't like to be hurt and we don't like conflict that comes as a result of being hurt. And typically, our desire to seek forgiveness or to show forgiveness depends on the magnitude of the sin or the hurt, right? If uh, somebody knocks a glass off our kitchen counter, which is usually me, um, but if somebody else were to do it, maybe within 10 minutes or an hour I could forgive that person. <laughs> depends if I have to clean it up or not, right? But if somebody intentionally bashes all of the glass in my kitchen with a bat, I'm going to have a harder time forgiving that person, right? Like there's, there's varying levels of hurt that we experience as humans. But I feel like God, whichever end of that spectrum we're on, I feel like God wants us to experience this aspect of his kingdom on a deeper level and to realize that it is urgent. How many people have you known that have literally taken resentment and unforgiveness to the grave? I know some people. Or how many people do you know have regrets about something that happened so long ago they don't even think forgiveness is an option? We walk around with a lot of wounds that haven't healed up, right? So my challenge to you today is this. First of all, that you would pray that God would give you a passion and a passion for compassion and forgiveness a passion to live out this kingdom reality in your life. Because if we as a church are going to do it better, we as individuals need to do it better, right? So if you don't feel that passion, or if you think it's not as strong as it could be, 
or should be. Ask that God would fuel that passion in you. Simple prayer. And then the second is this. Identify one person in your life that you might have a little resentment or unforgiveness towards. And resentment is often unforgiveness. So we can say whatever word we want, but if there's a broken relationship there, if we harbor some anger or malice or whatever it is towards an individual, then there's something there that the kingdom of God needs to speak into. So identify one person in your life that you harbor resentment towards and forgive them. It might be hard and it might take time for you to sort this out and that's okay. I guarantee it's worth it. This might be somebody at a distance that you can't meet. It might even be somebody you don't know, but you still get worked up about it. You can still forgive for your part. Or it might be somebody close to you that you actually need to sit down and talk with. And that's where we all get really nervous, right? But that's the kingdom of God. Clothing ourselves with humility and compassion and being willing to sit down and say, I forgive you. Or in some cases, being willing to say how we have been hurt by someone so that they may offer forgiveness. Because often people don't even know they hurt other people. So I challenge you to do this. And I'm not going to give you a time frame. You should do it today. No. Um, you, you, you could do it. It would be a good thing, a great invitation from the Holy Spirit today for you to do that at some point in the near future. If you don't feel you can do it, ask God to provide you whatever it is you might need, because he knows. And he's a God who gives good gifts, and he's a God who desires to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So friends, let's be kingdom people. Let's continue to structure our lives and our church and all that we are around this reality of Jesus and his mission. Let's be people who are clothed with compassion and humility, exercising our Jesus-given authority to forgive one another as we have been forgiven. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Quite literally, Lord, we would not be here today without your forgiveness. And if we've experienced your grace and your love in that way, we know there's a truth here, Lord. Something undeniable, something non-negotiable. This forgiveness thing is of you. So, Lord, we simply ask that you would give us the passion to be compassionate people and forgiving people. Even if it means discomfort and conflict, even if it means laying down our own pride, even if it means reopening an old wound, we pray, Lord, that your healing power would work through humility and compassion and forgiveness, Lord. We also pray, Lord, of this that this kingdom invitation to come and see would be one that we follow through on. Lord, when you are inviting us to come and see what you are doing, that we would walk with you and talk with you and get to know you on the journey as we see together. And we pray, Lord, that we, as your kingdom people, would be willing to make that same invitation. Whether that's here at a church service, whether that's in our community, whether that's to the Life Light event, whether that's on a mission trip in the future, whatever that looks like, Lord, may we 
be able to say to our friends and our loved ones, those we care about, come and see. Come and see what Jesus is doing. Come and see what Jesus is all about. Come and experience his forgiveness, his love, and his grace. So Lord, in all of these ways, we know that we fall short. But we also know, Lord, that you are a God big enough to fill in all of the gaps in our own wisdom, all of the gaps in our own empowerment. And you can fill us with your spirit to do big things. So Lord, may we expect big things from you in our lives. May we crave your presence and the coming of your kingdom. And may we do it all clothing ourselves in compassion and humility and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.